Well, I came across an interesting article a few weeks ago, and uh, here's what it said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It said, basically, since the pandemic, we have had to recategorize the sizes of churches. And it said that now, post-pandemic, a church of one one person to 50 people is a small church. That makes sense. Uh, but a church of 51 to 100 people is now a mid-sized church. Uh, 101 to 250 people is considered a large church, and 250 people or more is now considered a very large church. Can you imagine that? I mean, that, that just seems kind of crazy. Right? If you have 110 people in your church, which used to be a very small church, that's now a large church. Right? And it raises all kinds of questions about how we will continue to do ministry if these numbers are our new normal. Now, I don't really like talking about numbers, and, and sometimes I think that that gets us kind of off on the wrong, uh, the wrong path, the wrong targets. But I think what these numbers do is they reveal something, right? And so I think maybe what we need to do is dig a little bit deeper and go back. And maybe the first question that we need to ask is, how did we get here, right? Why have so many people not returned to church after the pandemic? And what is it about how we have done church in the past that has apparently failed to form the kind of people who are committed to living a life of discipleship in community with other Jesus followers? Now, in this episode, this is exactly what Todd Bolsinger and I uh, are talking about, right? How did we get here? What did we get wrong before the pandemic? And what do we need to do now, not necessarily to get people to come back to church, but to help the people who are in our churches grow into faithful and committed disciples? Uh, and one more thing before we get into the conversation, uh, I want to encourage you to listen to the very end of the episode because Todd and I have an exciting announcement about something brand new that we're going to be doing here uh, on the Spiritual Life and Leadership podcast, and I can't wait to share it with you. Very exciting. Well, I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 144 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Everyone, I'm here with Todd Bolsinger. Uh, Todd is the executive director of Fuller Seminary's Church Leadership Institute, of which Spiritual Life and Leadership is the podcast. And uh, Todd is also the author of uh, five books, including Canoeing the Mountains and Tempered Resilience. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? Hello, Marcus. Nice to be with you again. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, we're going to talk about some good stuff today, uh, including something very special that uh, is coming on the podcast starting uh, next month, next year, January 2023. So we'll get to that. So everybody stick around until the end, and then we'll 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 have a big reveal or something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, here's what what uh, I would love for us to talk about today, or just to kind of get us started is. Um, you know, the Church Leadership Institute has been around for about uh, two years now, and um, and I've loved getting to be a, a part of everything that the Church Leadership Institute is doing. And um, uh, I guess the the question I would have to, to get us started is just what are some of the things that you've learned uh, as you've been working with pastors and churches uh, over the last few years? Thanks. Yeah, it's one of the best parts about uh, 
leading this little thing we call the Church Leadership Institute of Fuller is that we get to focus every single day on what is required of leaders in a rapidly changing world. Yeah. What kind of leadership is needed and what are the kind of challenges we're facing? And of course, you know, we launched this right before this thing happened that was called a pandemic and mm-hmm. that disrupted everything. Yeah. So all of a sudden we were in real time um, learning and studying the very thing that we were trying to bring to the church, which mm-hmm. was how do you lead in a rapidly changing, disruptive world? And one of the most interesting things we learned is that the capacity to learn adaptive leadership, which is mm-hmm. leadership that happens when you're not an expert, yeah. when you've never been here before, when yeah. you uh, when there are no best practices, when you have to learn and you got to let go of some of the stuff that brought you here and you're going to have to st- enter into what we call uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. That leadership experience, everybody got thrown into. Yeah. So what happened to me and to most of our work is mm-hmm. we went from um, traveling around the country, talking to people to doing Zoom, uh, both yeah. podcasts and webinars. Yeah. And that meant we were having lots of conversations really quickly with a mm-hmm. lot of leaders. Um, Marcus, I did 170 Zoom webinars during the first two years of, 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 the, of the podcast. And one of the things I always asked is, what are the challenges you're facing today? Mm-hmm. And, and this is the one that you and I decided we want to talk about. Yeah. The number one thing that almost everybody talked about that we realized was revealed during COVID mm-hmm. and has been revealed in this disrupted world is what we would call a crisis of discipleship. Yeah. yeah. That the discipleship practices that got us here were not helping us get through the pandemic and through the crises. Yeah. That in some senses, we weren't as Christian as we thought we were. And this has created a lot of soul searching and a lot of desire by leaders to ask, okay, so how do we need to lead differently to form the kinds of people who are ready for the kinds of crises the world seems to be facing all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that is a significant challenge. Um, And we're, uh, I mean, I I see it in in my congregation. Uh, Well, so what's interesting for me is the way I experience it in this new congregation, I've been there for about nine months now. um, I see pictures of, you know, former classes of elders and deacons. And I'm like, I only recognize a, a couple of people, like people who were elders and deacons just before the pandemic, or maybe even into the early pandemic. I'm like, where where are they? I think one or two yeah. of them have passed away, but uh, I, I don't know who any of those people are. Um, at what, one of the things that you said to me, we were talking offline um, a few weeks ago, and and you said that um, you know since the pandemic, or, or that this pandemic. Uh, this may be the first time in history where people didn't come back to church or the church didn't grow after a a pandemic. Uh, You mentioned, you know, there've been plagues and pandemics throughout history. And, you know, I guess a lot of time or many of the times, or maybe every time people are like, oh, we need to go back to church. We need to come back to God. But that hasn't happened this time. Uh, What, what uh, you know, you shared that with me. Tell tell us more, like, what are you hearing or what are you noticing or what have you uh, seen? What does this tell us? Well, well, one of the most interesting things is for most pastors, that crisis that you've experienced, where did all these people go, got turned into like an engagement question. How do we do a better job of getting people back, uh, reaching out to them, uh, welcoming them back, uh, tidying up the sanctuary, getting the band back together, you know, have a party. (laughs) Uh, But when you talk to people about why they've slipped away, 
Yeah. It's ultimately the church didn't feel that different than the rest of the world. Mm, I don't, yeah. I don't miss it. I don't yeah. miss the community. And matter of fact, in my own life, I've begun to ask some deeper questions about what all this means. Mm-hmm. And what, what we recognized was, um, that in like, that's what I said before is almost every crisis, the church has yeah. grown yeah. in the first 400 years of the church, yeah. the first yeah. 300 years, at least yeah. the church grew rapidly through the plagues of the day, the plagues yeah. and crises of the day is when people sought out the church because they hungered for God yep. and they saw people who live differently than the world around them. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is almost by every metric, the church mirrors the world around mm-hmm. us. Um, right down to the way that we have ended up polarizing around politics, for example, we are yep, um, yep. we're just as divided as the, the rest of our country, yep. and we ha- haven't demonstrated much difference. Um, yeah. And so, because of that, it's really caused people I know to have, um, many of the pastors that I work with and lead that we work with mm-hmm. have said, you know, I, I wonder if what we're doing is actually even having any fruit. I, right. I had a pastor of an eight thousand member church say to me after I saw the way my my church members argued with each other publicly on Facebook. Ugh. I began to ask, have I wasted 31 years of my life? Yeah. Yeah. He's a pastor of an 8,000 member yeah. mega church yeah. with multiple campuses. Yeah. yeah. And he said, like I watched their comments, their comments were vile Ugh. and the way they treated each other. And I wondered, have I wasted my life. And I do think this is uh, um, causing us to ask some questions about the kinds of mm-hmm. spiritual formation and discipleship practices of the church yeah. leading up to this day that have now made us ask whether or not they, they produced the yeah. kinds of people that we're supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the next question then is what, what did we do wrong? And I don't, mm. you may, I don't know if you know the answer, right? We're, we're, mm. we're not, we're not a world of experts anymore. And so maybe uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out, but what, did we do something wrong? Is there something we need to change? Hmm. Well, I, I don't know if we, I don't know if I have an answer, but I have a couple mm-hmm. of uh, hunches mm-hmm. and my hunches come from talking to leaders everywhere about this. Um, many churches confused discipleship with training people for church ministry. Yeah. So discipleship, which is really where we take on the likeness of Christ, where we are, uh, where we're grown to embody the presence of Christ in our neighborhood, where we learn to to grow in maturity, to be more like Christ. Um, uh, Dallas Willard said that discipleship and spiritual practices are about you becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I love that phrase. Cause it's not you just becoming like Jesus. Right. It's hard for me to figure out how I'm going to be a first century Galilean right. carpenter. <laughs> but if Jesus was walking around in my skin, in my community with my responsibilities, yeah. my family, my job, how would Jesus enter into it and make an impact? And that's a tra- life transformation that is more than just where I serve at church. Am I a Sunday school teacher, a small group yeah. leader, an usher on the tech team? You know, I think we've confused institutional right. um, service with right. spiritual formation. Right. And, and that, that's one hunch. I think that's yeah. been one, one problem. The other problem, I think, is that we've turned spiritual formation into um, the kinds of practices that are about my self um, like I'd say my, my own self comfort, yeah. my own sense of peace, my own, it's, it's like mm-hmm. a spiritual version of the calm app, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like there's, there's nothing wrong with having spiritual practices that give us peace of mind and help us um, be less stressed. Yeah. But those are not the end in and of itself. The end oh. is transformation. Yeah. And I think what's happened is we've kind of taken either, either, either an overly institutionalized version of spiritual formation or an overly individualized version hmm. of spiritual formation. Hmm. And what I want to really argue about and what we're really spending more of our time ta- talking about, and I'm yeah. working on a book on, is how do we develop the culture, the soil that actually yeah. grows up the kind of fruit that will remain? Yeah. Like how do we create the context yeah. for of spiritual formation that actually creates the kinds of people yeah. that the world will look to in times yeah. of crisis, because we look more like the God who's reaching out to us. Yeah. Um, boy, I mean, when I, when I think about what you're uh, saying here, <laughs> that there may, how do we, how do you create that kind of a culture and, and that kind of an environment? It seems to me that that culture and environment might not look exactly like, the way we've been doing church for the last, you know, at least several hundred years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about a few folks in our church um, that I've gotten to know who love being a part of our church and are actually pretty new, but they're also involved in um, sort of a home community uh, as mm-hmm. as their like a, ch- a church, uh, uh, and it's a very neighborhood based, maybe about fifteen to twenty people, and they meet on Sunday afternoons. And when I look at them, I'm like, oh man, now these folks are living like Jesus because they, they've been involved in this very kind of, uh, well, it's non-institutional. It's all about inner life transformation and also neighborhood engagement. Um, and, and there's a part of me that wonders, is, is that a model? I don't know if it is. I'm just throwing this out there. But I, I see yeah. transformation in those. Do we need to let go of old ways of doing things and try new things uh, in order to become the kind of church that I think the world needs us to be? Hmm. Well, I, I, I think the answer to that is of course, we're going to have to let go of some things. And of course we're going to have to try some new things. I think more than anything, what we have to pay attention to is just humbly acknowledging that what got us here isn't going to take us there. Yeah. Right. And so um, like, like you said, you know, um, I wonder if the model of the church over the last hundred years is actually helpful. I, I would put it this way. There are multiple models of church throughout the world in lots of different contexts that are really different. Home churches, like you've just said, uh-huh. um, different in di- different congregations in different contexts that are really different and producing different kinds of folks. I think yeah. the issue for most of us, is, especially in the West, has been the dominant mental model of church has either been like a, a local congregation that exists to be um, my little church. So kind of what I call it, like my mm. little church. It's the place where me and my people come to get my, our own spiritual nurture, nurture, yeah, right. or it's to be like a mega church, which means we have programs for everybody and right. it's very program right. based. And what I kind of wonder is if there's not so much a new model as a way of looking at both of those churches and saying, there's, there's a kind of transformation that comes by making the community intentional about its formation. Mm-hmm. like at the very center of our being. Yeah. So one of the examples that I use for this is there's an, there's an organizational model that I've been studying um, by uh, um, two Harvard people named Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy. Hmm. And they're talking, they talk about businesses that said, Hey, we will hold a 
dual bottom line, a dual bottom line. Mm. We will absolutely try to create the profits that we are called to do as a business, Mm -hmm. like produce the profits. And we're going to, we're going to develop our people. We're going to be committed to the development Mm -hmm. of our people. We're going to do both. Well, all of a sudden I think, you know, a church couldn't think of itself in the same way. We have a mission to be a witness in this community of Jesus Christ's presence in our midst. And we're going to grow up our people to be more like Jesus. Like that's mm-hmm. like that's intentional focus. What so happens, un- un- unfortunately, in so many of our churches is those two things, mission and formation, yeah. become ancillary programs. <laughs> like they right. actually become exterior programs. They become, they're not the center of what we, we do. The center right, of what we yeah. do is we have a big gathering on Sunday morning and we get people right. to come here. And we, right. but, but what they're saying is the center of the church needs to be our mission and our formation. And when we are forming people, intentionally forming people for mission, we are actually taking on a different way of thinking about the organizational culture that I think could show up in lots of different uh, sizes, constructs, structures, denominations, ecclesiology. But what, but the shift is to see that the primary work is for the communities to be an intentionally formative community so that yeah. people take their place in the mission of God in the world. And we we work on this in lots of places here at Fuller, including our yeah. Center for Spiritual Formation. But I think that what we haven't done is paid attention to the kinds of leadership it's going to take to transform those churches yeah. into this kind of intentionally formative community. Yeah. I think I think the hardest part of that is I don't think we know how to be an intentionally formative community. Yeah. Um, we know how to do our programs. We even know how to recruit volunteers, right? <laughs> I remember yep. going through uh, my own personal pandemic several years ago and a toxic situation in, an, in a former church. And I came out of that and I really felt like, what did I do these last seven years that I was here or eight years or whatever it was? And I, like, did I, was anyone's life even transformed? You know, and, and I got uh, for a while, I'm not opposed to having people volunteer for stuff, but I like, I had this vile inner revulsion to like, Oh, and then we just get volunteers because it's, there was a, this recognition that getting volunteers and you, you already said this is not the same thing as helping people be, be spiritually formed. So anyway, so, but, but there's, I'm, I'm wrestling right now <laughs> right, with this idea. How do we get from being, uh, man, how do we go from being churches that, know how to do what we do right and oh we need a we need ushers and we need greeters and we need uh you know we need youth leaders and children's ministry leaders to we are a community of people who are being formed into the the kind of people that jesus would be if he were us right and i I don't know you know i'm asking a question that i i know you're still wrestling with too but um i don't know how can we at least take a step toward that yeah well, here's the place where I, I start. Yeah. I start that um, Jesus said, I have appointed you that you would bear fruit, fruit that would remain. Mm-hmm. And this fruit, of course, in the in the scriptures is our grapes. It's what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. It's grapes that becomes wine. Yeah. And the wine becomes the symbol of God's life and sacrifice and love yeah. in the world. So this, yeah. so I always say the, the goal of every church is to produce great wine, mm-hmm. wine that makes the world glad. And we produce that wine by producing people of great fruit. Yeah. And the fruit is the, is the taste, the, the literal taste of Jesus, the taste mm. of God. It, yeah. It's what gives us genuine joy. Yeah. 
So then you ask the question, so how do you grow that great fruit? And what most of us have done is spent a whole lot of time working on, um, well, manufacturing the grapes, selling the grapes, Mm. creating a a market for the grapes. What we haven't come back to is the soil that it grows Mm. in. The great grapes come from great soil. Mm. And what I want to do is, is ask the question, the soil, if the soil is our communal culture, what's the culture in the church that produces the fruit that will make the world glad? And when I talk to church leaders about this, they will literally say to me stuff like, I know Jesus said that we're we're supposed to care about the wine and not the wineskins, which would be like today him saying, care about the wine and not the wine bottles. Right. I think I spent my whole life in the bottle manufacturing business. Oh, yeah. Like I've been creating wine labels and wine bottles and wine corks. Right. And I've forgotten how to grow grapes. Yeah. And that's what I think we need to be talking more about. And that's when we talk about adaptive shifts, what we're talking about is having to acknowledge there isn't a program. There's not a quick fix. We're going to actually have to learn how to rebuild our soil, rebuild our organizational culture. So they produce the fruit that then becomes the wine that makes the world glad. And this is going to require us to let go of some things that we've done and to enter into some new ways of being some new practices, um, some new ways of being community together. It it seems that it, it will have to start with the leader. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, others, I suppose could also start, but uh, the leader will, the pastor, the leader will have to um, have some kind of transformation as well. And so, you know, what kinds of qualities or what kinds of transformation uh, will leaders need to experience? What, what qualities will they need to, to, to embrace in order to be that kind of a leader, do you think? Well, one of the parts is to, is I think is in almost every place where, where we talk about a genuine adaptive change, it starts with being able to embrace the humility of not knowing Mm, of not having a plan or a program or a quick fix. When we're anxious, we want a quick fix. We want a plan. We want a program. We want a Mm -hmm. seven point series. We want, Oh my gosh, how can we transform the whole church during Lent? Right? Like, like we're going to have to think much more long-term and we're going to have to think about what brings health back into a soil. And what it requires is um, there needs to be, and the capacity to start by acknowledging the things that don't work. Hmm. So um, I always say that whenever I'm coaching, I say to people, whatever insight you get to that you, that you need in your life, like, like I need to have more time to pray. I need to have more, I need to be in more environments where we can be authentic and honest and open about our learning or whatever it would be. The neck, the hard question isn't acknowledging that it's, what will you take out? Yeah. What will you stop doing to do mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Because we want to keep the machine going. Yep. And instead of keeping the machine going and do and dabbling on the side with this formation thing, what would it require us to make that our primary purpose? Yeah. To pull out and stop the things that are not working yep. and instead start experimenting with new ways yep. of, of being in the midst of it. And yep. Um, and there are some some beginning parts of that. Um, even, yeah. Let me just say one thing you just yeah. said. If it's going to happen, it's going to start with a leader. Mm-hmm. But I want to say to the leader is, if, if we're going to transform our community, it's going to start mm-hmm. with you, and you cannot do it alone. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If the very first thing you think is I got to get myself all perfectly formed as a perfect little grape. <laughs> yeah. You're missing the point. Yeah. The point is for you to bring people together and say, how do we reframe? How do we rework our soil so that it is healthy and produces lots of fruit, including in my life and yours? Right, right. That alone. So I would say you can start with humility and you can start with community and you're, mm -hmm. you're starting on the same way. And I would say there's, there's one more attribute mm -hmm. that shows up a lot in all this literature, which is it starts with the understanding that if I know I need to grow, the place I'm going to have to grow is going to be a place that's going to cause me discomfort mm -hmm. and it's going to require vulnerability. Yeah. So how do we create environments where we're literally able to identify, here's what God's doing in my life, here's what God's doing in our life, yeah. here's what we need to work on and grow in, and as we grow in this particular way, then that vulnerability is going to be part of the healthy soil yeah. that the fruit is growing out of. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. You know, um, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about this particular conversation and it's, you know, it's, it's one where a lot of times I listen to podcasts and it's like, here are a bunch of answers for you and here's how to do this or that in whether it's church or business or whatever it is, you know, but this is more like a, here are the things that we need to be thinking about kind of a conversation. Here are the things we need to be wrestling with. And, um, so my apologies to folks listening who are like, I didn't get any answers today. Well, <laughs> we're with you. It's <laughs> um, kind but, of the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is uh, this is part of a journey, a, a long journey. And so, uh, as I say the word "long," I wanna I wanna mention something uh, that I'm very excited about, and um, uh, we're we're introducing something new to the podcast. Um, right now, the podcast comes out every other week. We're going to be adding uh, x not extra episodes, but episodes every every week now. And so, on those off weeks, so to speak, um, we're going to do something called quick conversations for the long haul of leadership, right? And so we're going to keep wrestling with the kinds of things that we started talking about today. And uh, these episodes are going to <clears throat> be with uh, me and Todd every every time. So every other week, you'll get a, a short conversation somewhere between uh, six to 10 minutes or so. And we're just going to look at a single quote or a single question or a single uh, a thought of some kind um, just to continue the process of wrestling with um, what does it mean to be a leader in a world that is uh, completely uh, disruptive? You know, just hard to hard to navigate. So, uh, Todd, uh, uh, I'm excited to do this with you. Uh, what, what do you what do you what do you think? Well, I think what's going to be great about it is that we'll be able to keep this kind of conversation going, and maybe in real yeah. time, we'll be modeling together how you and I are learning. Mm -hmm. Take a big question like just the crisis of discipleship and solve it yeah. in 20 minutes. Uh, we would yeah. be violating <laughs> the trust of our people, but yeah. to raise that yeah. question and then invite other people into that conversation with us, yeah. um, that's, that's going to be fun to do and to do it regularly around some of these deep key concepts. Yeah. Um, I hope that'll be helpful for our folks. Yeah. Uh, so we, we actually just, um, recorded the first two, uh, of those quick conversations right before we recorded this one. And, uh, I think they're pretty good. So, um, hopefully <laughs> everyone else will think so as well. Anyway. Uh, very good. We're looking at um, uh, quotes from Ronald Heifetz, uh, Greg Mc McEwen, and we have others on the way, Edwin Friedman. And um, anyway, uh, lots of good stuff um, and, and hopefully something that will be really helpful for all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of ministry leadership in the 21st century. Um, 
And uh, and the first one will be out um, the second week of January. I don't remember the exact date, but it'll be the second week of January. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Todd, thank you. Uh, this was Thanks, great. Marcus. I'm uh, I'm excited for uh, all of these conversations to come and. Um, yeah, just thanks for, for the good work that uh, that you're doing leading us here at the Church Leadership Institute. Well, I appreciate it. It's fun to work with you too, Marcus. Thanks very much. Well, we are facing quite the challenge, aren't we? Uh, you know, I got to be honest with you. Speaking as a pastor, this is pretty hard for me because you know what I'm good at? I'm good at things like preaching, right? I'm good at planning worship services. I'm good at getting folks to volunteer for stuff. Uh, pastoral care, leading meetings, leading Bible studies, right? All of that pastor kind of stuff that that I learned in seminary, that's what I'm good at. And it's not that those things aren't important, but the question is, will we need to let go of any of those kinds of things in order to create the kind of environment in which people are able to be formed uh, to live lives of deep submission to Jesus and love for their neighbors? And I think the answer is, yeah, probably. <laughs> right? Yeah, probably. Um, now, I don't know exactly what things we're going to have to let go of. And, and the truth is, right, there are no experts right now. We can't claim to have exactly the right answer. But we can keep learning together, and we can keep trying new things. And that's what we want to help you do as, as Todd Bolsinger and I begin sharing these new podcast episodes that we're calling Quick Conversations for the Long Haul of Leadership. Now, let me unpack that title just real briefly. Why Quick Conversations? Well, because each episode will be less than 10 minutes focusing on a single quote or a single question or a single thought, something like that. But why for the long haul of leadership? What does that mean? Well, these short episodes will focus on topics that will help you as you lead your church or your organization through these very challenging and disruptive times, right? Leading through these times is a long haul kind of leadership, and we want to be there for you as you lead through the long haul, in the long haul. Uh, The very first of these quick conversations for the long haul of leadership episodes is going to drop on January 10th, and I can't wait. I'm very excited. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.